You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Show for Monday the 8th of May 2023. We acknowledge the Yurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We have a show about cycling, bikes, uh, urban mobility, micro-mobility, active transport. Did I say bikes? But today's show, I'm going to be chatting to Andrea and she is a walking advocate and it's how, which is kind of a free-ranging discussion on how uh, pedestrians and riders can be better allies to each other. And yeah, we just have a really good free-ranging chat so, news and events. Well, if you go back to oh, almost two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, City of Yarra voted to make the uh, Elizabeth Street trial that uh, runs along kind of east-west in um, Abbotsford, which connects up with the uh, Albert uh, Road or Albert Street uh, protected lanes from the City of Melbourne, voted to make those permanent. So that is indeed a really good uh Kind of you know, thing for all the bad news that we get that that councils can progress forward and you know again unfortunately with this thing is that it is dependent upon future things in the area happening resheeting and possibly state government funding but that is good now on another uh, point to do with separated infrastructure is that we have this, the ongoing one with Kerford Lane or Kerford Road, I should get that right, after in, in the south. And it's this ongoing thing that we've had the Shrine to See project going on for absolutely ages. And if anyone's been following that, you would know that, yes, this has been creeping on and on and on. And Port Phillip Bug have put out a media release that Kerford Road is an extremely wide corridor with ample room for people walking on bikes, driving and parking. A separated lane would be a wonderful community asset and that gives more people uh, options for sustainable transport. And it's coming up for vote again. And will we finally get there? Uh, they've got to put out a, a joint media release and I'm just bringing that up now, community groups call for a separated bike lane on Kerford Road. And a diverse range of community not-for-profit groups are calling on the state government to construct a safe bike lane on Kerford Road. 
this would have many benefits for the community in a separated lane would. And just a couple of the points are encourage scooter users off the footpath, ensuring that footpaths remain usable for pedestrians, particularly older people and people with a disability. By making it possible for more people to ride, play an important role in improving cardiovascular health. By making it possible for more people to ride, reduce transport emissions that contribute to uh, the climate cha- climate to climate change. Enable kids and young people to make safer, independent journeys to school and around town. A separated bike lane along the length of Curved Road, Albert Road corridor, was a key recommendation of the community panel for the Shrine to Sea project. The panel have made their recommendations after a year-long derivative process. Our separated bike path on this corridor is supported by, and this is really good, this is a, a range of groups who support this, the Hart Foundation, Victoria Walks, Port Phillip Emergency Climate Action Network, Bicycle Network, Port Phillip Bicycle Users Group, Disability Resource Centre and Better Streets for Victoria and Australia. So that's really good that this has uh, come up. The issue being is will state government and the local councils take measure of this and go and actually implement what their policy does? I mean, yes, so many times, and we've seen this time and time again, that government works against their own recommendations. Uh, Well, if you want to find out more, I'll just bring this up again. Just mind me as I type in my password to get back into my phone. Uh, Yeah, this goes into a list of statements from the supporting groups. And uh, so it gives a lot of background into the Kerford uh, bike lane thing. You've been down there, the median strip, you could land... uh, insert name of wide body jet here it's huge so uh, yeah uh, if you find out more you can uh, contact port phillip bicycle user group and uh, port phillip bug that's all one word at gmail.com or contact julie who's been a uh, previous uh, guest on the show on 0415 now up next Speaking of uh, some uh, stuff that was in that media release, I'm going to be chatting to walking advocate Andrea about how walkers and riders can be better advocates. The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a short from my dark eyes. Complex hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. Today on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, I'm chatting to Andrea and today we're going to take a different perspective of active transport and we're going to talk about one of the other active transport modes. (laughs) 
It's uh, really nice to join you, Chris, and all the listeners. I think previous to if people have been in the, you know, the space or around cycling for transport for a long time, they've heard sustainable transport, they've heard active transport, and it gets a lot of the media and the papers and the research, but there's one aspect which is a vital component of active transport, which is walking. And I want to touch base with you, Andrea, upon some of the things that we can do to be better allies to each other. Yes, well, I'm a, I'm a quite fierce pedestrian advocate and active travel advocate. I'm not a cyclist myself. I'm also a very occasional driver. I sold my car a few years ago and um, kind of threw myself in my own life into active travel in a way that feels really great as a kind of middle-aged woman. And that has been as a pedestrian. So it's quite enlightening to have the experience of being a pedestrian, especially in an era where I think active travel is getting a lot more kind of airplay. And yet, as you say, a lot of that is focused on cycling, which is great. I'm I'm an ally of cycling, but I would certainly like to see more attention being paid to what's needed in the pedestrian realm. And there's, um, a, there's, there's the things in pedestrian realm too. There's different levels of ability. Mm. It's the same as cycling. So I'm seeing e-bikes as a great leveler at the moment. And mm. with pedestrians, you know, there's, there's this euphemistically able body, but other people have, a lot of people have different levels of what they are capable of in a public space. Now, this directly links into stuff with e-bike or e-scooter trials. And these are really interesting things. And I want to kind of frame this by, we're not trying to be moralistic. We're just trying to look at this from an ability and public space perspective. I think certainly the the trial of e-scooters and to a lesser extent, e-bikes, but e-scooters have brought this to the fore. We're seeing kind of unnecessary an unnecessary conflict between micro-mobilities and people who are walking. And, and as you say, people who are on the footpath, they're not all walking. Some of them are in wheelchairs, they're rolling, they're using walkers and other mobility aids. They're, they might have other, they might have low vision, they might just be older and um, having trouble to kind of moving with the speed and and flexibility of that they did when they were younger. I mean, on the one hand, it makes the the footpath kind of the most universally accessible part of the transport environment out there. Like it's easiest to get onto the footpath for the most number of people little kids, people with disability, people with all sort of speeds of walking, they can kind of easily get onto the footpath or that's how it should be. I think with years of underinvestment on our pedestrian environments, particularly in the inner city where, you know, kind of space has been carved away from the pedestrian environment to make space for parking and um, car traffic and and so on. The kind of investment that happens around pedestrian space is diminishing. It's 
the lowest priority on a transport budget and so on. So I'd certainly like to see that change. And I think to see that change, we're going to really have to get all of the people who are active travel enthusiasts and activists working and singing from the same song sheet, really. Our shared interests are really being safer from crashes with cars and being safer from the sort of mortality and morbidity that comes from being a vulnerable road user with large cars and the cars are getting bigger and the vulnerable road users are getting more vulnerable in the face of that. But there are also some things that set us apart as cyclists and pedestrians in terms of what we need. Enjoy the splendor of Ripponley Estates Gardens at the Botanica Festival, featuring an open-air market, plant and garden book sale, as well as freshly baked scones with jam and cream. Join a garden tour, visit the mansion, or enjoy the various displays. Botanica is made possible by the city of Glen Ira. The Botanica Festival on Mother's Day, Sunday, May the 14th, between 10am and 3pm. For more information, go to ripponlee.com.au. Ripponlee Estate is owned and managed by the National Trust of Victoria, a 3CR supporter. So I've heard cycle activists say things like, well, if we get stuff for cyclists, it's good for pedestrians. And on one level, that's, uh, that is true. But on another level, it kind of misses the opportunity to also do investments in the pedestrian realm. And pedestrians need things that cyclists don't. For example, they need crossings. They need wider footpaths. They need uncluttered footpaths. So going back to the question of e-scooters and bikes and so on, pedestrians really need the footpath not to be the kind of box room of the public realm and not be where people store their bikes, store their scooters, but also store other stuff from their household, their garbage bins, or even honestly, where councils kind of build other infrastructure like bike racks. It'd be much better to take a parking space and put the bike racks into that parking space than to put them as happens now on the footpath where it, it just diminishes the space for pedestrians further and it creates those hazards for people with low vision and people with mobility issues. Yeah, and yeah. these are the issues that have got to be discussed with nuance because invariably, I think we just got to start being gentler with each other. It's not a moral thing. It's just like, please think of everybody else. And I'm, I'm framing this in very, very general, non-Pacific way. But I, I think there's a lot of give and take has evaporated. That's true. And I think, yeah. you know, we do need to be gentler with each other. Everybody's fallible and everybody makes mistakes. Like pedestrians, I, I can certainly understand some of the frustrations that cyclists will have with pedestrians now and again, you know, walking on the wrong side of a shared path or dawdling, you know, in inconvenient places, those sorts of things. 
we sort of have to find a way back to being able to talk to each other about these things and say, look, here is why that's making my life more inconvenient. I recently been thinking about, it's mainly to do with drivers, to be honest, like when I see drivers kind of parked across the footpath or, uh, you know, they're just, just for a minute, I'm leaving my uh, car here in the bike lane or across the footpath to make a delivery or whatnot. It strikes me that those people for their own convenience are creating inconvenience for others. And I think when you point out that your convenience is inconveniencing a bunch of other people, people kind of recognize that. Mm. I think the other thing I would say is that you were mentioning at the outset that when you call people out for parking an e-scooter in the wrong place, for example, um, they might get defensive. I honestly never see people parking them parking actually parking them um, like in the act of parking them in the wrong spot because I think people inherently know that leaving an e-scooter in the middle of the footpath is you know dangerous and it's inconveniencing other people and it's sort of something that people aren't going to want to be seen to be doing it seems to be one of those things kind of gets done in the dark of night and Yay. or when people aren't watching and that to me suggests that people know that it's not the right thing to do it's well, you, sort of like littering you see that around you are and on the edge of like Derriban and a few other things of where the geo fencing is and it's like everyone's just dropped the top of um, St George's Road or top of mm. Hoddle Street near the terminus you know everyone's dropped those e-scooters there's a few other places and the thing is when they brought the trials in why wasn't there from the actual commercial operators some corrals where the parking permit cost, where they rent from the LGA the space so they don't create a public problem? I think these things are being worked through, but we have, we went through all these with O-bikes and the like, and it's just like the public space becomes some type of, oh, I can just fringe upon that a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. As you just said in part of your conversation was how car drivers infringe upon our spaces by taking over those pram ramps or the, the crossings or a narrow footpath. And they oh, I'll just be a minute. And they don't have any comprehension of what inconvenience they've caused for someone. The, the anger element, I think, you know, I'm just also being the broad brushy. The other anger element comes into things too fast. You never know what someone else is going through. And that's the premise I, I take. I try and be as neutral as I can when I'm moving through whatever public space. Celebrating the wondrous music of Maestro Ilyaraja on 3CR every Friday, 8 to 9 p.m. Sarik 26th of May. And I think that's, it goes to that, like, we have to be prepared to have a community conversation about those things and to, to kind of problem solve in a way that 
doesn't throw anybody under the bus. Like I think many of our systems, uh, and I'm an urban planner, and so I sort of speak with that kind of experience as an urban planner and seeing how planning systems and development systems work, and they're quite adversarial. So I think we've been well-trained in that, like, way of fighting with each other sort of tribally in community about these sorts of things and I I think we we really have to knock that on the head and find what binds us and what what we share and that's an awful lot because we we're obviously living in a community together we've obviously been drawn to this community for certain reasons your listeners and me and my pedestrian friends are all active travelers we're all enjoying the benefits of active travel in our different mode choices we've all been kind of empowered to make those choices like i feel like i'm pedestrian by a quite conscious choice. And I know many cyclists are cyclists by a very conscious choice to do that. And we continue to do it because we reap rewards from that kind of, those choices that we've made for how we get around the city. And as we've said earlier, you know, we have a lot in common in terms of what we want to advocate for and what we want to see in our neighborhoods in terms of it being walkable, cyclable, livable, you know, not dominated by cars and parked cars and the danger of cars and those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, So I'd certainly say that there's so much scope for cyclists and pedestrians to do joint advocacy in a much more sophisticated way, because I think we still do kind of fall out into like many tribes within under that umbrella. And so, you know, and we can start digging at each other, like pedestrians in the bike lanes or cyclists who are going too fast on the shared path, you know, and we can get really over aggressive, uh, if you like, there's an example I could think of like last 20 to 25 years is um, part of the Capital City Trail is begins down at South Bank and that got redone in the 90s. And it's always been a hot spot for you know, a certain small paper to go down and do blitz on cyclists for speed because down there the planning and the de- urban development that happened down there was a bit of a bit of a mess. I was about to use another word, but I can't use it on this time of the morning. We've got to stop these little flashpoints because – we are living in cities, and one of the great things about cities is that you can have what you need very close to you, and you can live a great quality of life with everything you need. Part of what moving forward was a video that I saw on Facebook of a young disability advocate, Shane. Hmm. Do you want to just talk to that for a few moments? It's very simple and very powerful. Well, I would really encourage you to have Shane on your show. I'm sure he'd be delighted to do that. I've gotten to know Shane just recently because we are both advocating and agitating, I suppose, for inclusive cities in our own ways. We have a mutual interest in getting Yarra Council to modify the 
trial conditions for the e-vehicles because they really do represent a hazard for people with disability. Shane's on the disability advisory group for the council, and I think he's done a lot of work through that avenue. He's done lots of work in just sort of posing questions to council during regular council meetings, and he also does a lot of work through his business, and that includes just giving people the experience of what it's like to have a vision impairment or to be yeah, in a wheelchair yeah, and to navigate the street. And I think it gives people this amazing, profound insight into what the implications of leaving a scooter in the footpath really are, or leaving your yep. garbage bin in the path really are. Like that's it's not a big deal for me. I can move those things. It's a really big deal for somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who has very low vision and is walking with a, a cane. I saw this happen in Nicholson Street, Abbotsford, just a few days ago. Someone with a cane got completely tangled up in a bunch of uh, rubbish bins that had been left on the footpath. And their cane was sort of stuck in the wheels of the of the wheelie bin and you could see just very viscerally and vividly how if you just think about how many times that would happen over the course of a single trip for somebody with low vision or who was in a wheelchair, how deeply frustrating that would be yeah. just get around your own neighborhood. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on digital and online, 3CR Radical Radio. It should be good enough that someone without any, living with any disability should be able to just use the footpath without yeah. obstruction. I know in my case, I don't have a physical disability or any other kind of, uh, you know, I don't have a, any, I'm not living with a disability, but walking is my primary mode of transportation. I don't dilly-dally. I'm a bit like, you know, people in their Lycra on the bikes. Like, I want to get where I'm going. I don't want to faff around, and I certainly don't want to have to sort of do dodgems through cluttered footpaths. And that includes cluttered with people because we just haven't kept up with a space allocation for you know the number of pedestrians walking especially if you get into the cbd is accounts for 90 percent of trips in the cbd and you can see it on streets like swanson street where the footpaths are just so crowded it's it's a really hard commute for somebody like me if I'm walking down there for work. It's a pretty challenging commute. And you get into very strange conversations if you try to start trying to reallocate space of people will say, I'd need to park, you know, they still have this, you know, 1960s mentality where I drive my Holden, whatever, from Wheeler's Hill to the front doors of Burke Street Mall and go see the Myers Christmas windows. People still kind of, very general again, but people still think that if you take away the car parking space, you have taken away something specifically for me. And 
I think, again, we've really, really got to tackle that big thing in the room, which is the hierarchy or the dominance of motor vehicles over the predominance of anything else. And my, my main thing is mixed mode, making it as yeah. easy to go from pedestrian to cyclist to public transport and back again. Absolutely be the case that you can you can walk down to the the bike share, you can hop on a bike for a little spell of time, you could drop that bike off in a appropriate off the footpath spot and hop on a tram and get to where you're going. And all of that should be pretty seamless. But yeah, but the problem, really problem is like our yeah, our commercial areas outside of like the the inner part we're talking about here and it's not just Melbourne it's everywhere you have strodes where they try and pack as much as into as possible but the dominant thing is these big impassable roads where it's incredibly pedestrian it's cyclist and scooter antagonistic you only have to go to a couple of places in the outer burbs or not middle suburbs where you've got strodes it's an American term but I think it's a great term of it's just so antagonistic to anything that's not encased in a car well, the planning there has kind of leapt away, but I think the spaces exist in those areas to redefine them. Absolutely. And I've just come back from Canada and I spent most of last year in Canada and I was in quite a small town, which was needlessly and frustratingly quite car dependent for exactly these reasons, just very poor urban design that focused on car trips. And you could walk, but it's it's not a very pleasant walk to walk along, as you say, a, a really big kind of strode environment or a boulevardy expanse of road. It's no more fun to walk in that environment than it is to cycle in that environment. And so Again, this is where uh, cyclists and pedestrians have a mutual cause. And we have a mutual cause in wanting good separated bike facilities because that frees up the footpath. It's safer for cyclists and it keeps cars and active travelers separated, which yeah. is a kind of fabulous outcome. Thank you to Andrea for making time to have a chat about walking and cycling and, again, how we can be better allies. Okay, thank you for listening to Yarra Bicycle Users Group today. Go to 3cr.org.au and look at the subscribe options to keep us on air. Our podcast, or this today's show, should be available shortly as a podcast on demand and numerous other ways, just go to your favourite podcast client and look for 3CR and Yarra Bicycle Users Group. Up next is Shebop followed by Black Block. Yarrabug would like to thank our sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Tuesday or Thursday.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.